Hi everyone, um, I'm Maddie and I attend the St. Catharines location with my husband and our 11 month old. And it's just a privilege for me to be here today to share some of my heart with you. So I'd like to start today's message with a land acknowledgement. Uh, the land we're on here in Niagara is home first to our indigenous neighbors, the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. Uh, the land is covered by the Dish with One Spoon Treaty and um, we are, as settlers unfairly took this land and caused a lot of hurt and pain in the process and it's our job to do the work of reconciliation. Now for today's message we're going to read from the book of Luke. The book of Luke is a letter that was written to the early church that outlines the life and teachings of Jesus in his ministry. Um, it's actually uh, a narrative that paints a picture of the start of the Christian movement and was written by a medical doctor. So today's story, um, many of us may already be familiar with, um, but I hope we can take something new to learn from it. So if you have a Bible with you or the Bible app, feel free to open up to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. Let's read. Just then a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, Go and do the same. Now, to fully understand the weight of Jesus' story, we need to appreciate the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, especially at that time. Simply put, they hated each other. Jews did not associate with Samaritans because they were half Jew, half Gentile, and considered to be not pure. Um, in today's day, this is basically what racism is, right? Seeing another ethnic group or religion as inferior to your own. Um, their religion beliefs and practices differed significantly. Most often um, when a Jew had to travel somewhere and the route would take them through Samaria, they would actually choose to go all the way around in order to avoid encountering a Samaritan, even if it took significantly longer. Um, so now the first two men in the story to pass the Jew were a priest and a Levite. Um, these two men would have been from the same religious sect, um, but the priest being one of authority and the Levite just being a common man. Um, 
The religion scholars at that time believed that they would have both been on their way to serve in the temple. Now, when the priest came by being on his way to the temple, uh, the text said he saw the man and he angled to the other side of the road. Um, in their religious law, if they came upon someone who was injured, they were obligated to help them unless that person were dead. Had the person been dead and they came in contact, they would have been considered ceremonially unclean. And in the priest's, uh, the priest's example, he would have had to return home, go through a purification process, and then wait to be called back to the temple to serve. And that could have taken up to a year or more. So he passed by. Then we see the Levite coming down the road. Some scholars believe that he saw the priest ahead of him, saw that he avoided him and followed suit, seeing as the priest was his religious authority figure. As for the scholars and Pharisees who posed this initial question to Jesus, um, they were intending to trap him. They were, like the text said, looking for a loophole. They weren't actually interested in knowing what it took to be a good neighbor. Um, these men would have been Jewish members to a religious party that ascribed to hundreds of legal traditions and rules, both from Jewish law as well as um, rituals and laws to help understand the laws that had been passed down generation after generation. These scholars and experts of the Jewish law would have been men who people turned to for clarity and uh, genuinely looked up to. They were often seen and regarded as holy men who were pursuing the highest level of purity. Yet, often Jesus' interactions with them um, reveal that many of them could be quite harsh, legalistic, and just often missing the point behind what God's laws really intended. So once Jesus had described the three men, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, he ended by addressing their question with a question. This is like classic Jesus fashion. You can look back in all sorts of other stories that he tells and interactions that he has. And he often answers a question with a question, which if you're like me, that's kind of irritating, but this is what he does. So let's see what his question was once he finished the story. He had said, what do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? So he changed the question entirely. In the story, he didn't seek to address who your neighbor is. Instead, he paints a picture of what a good neighbor does. I'll say that one more time. In the story, he didn't seek to address who your neighbor is. Instead, he paints the picture of what a good neighbor does. So Jesus defines neighbor as anyone that you come in contact with, regardless of race, beliefs, opinions, status, or anything else that could cause division. The way he describes a neighbor is by like coming alongside someone. We see it in verse 37 when he asks who became a neighbor. The answer Jesus received was the one who treated him kindly. For clarity's sake, I came prepared with a couple other translations answers to this question, just so that we're crystal clear on what it takes to be a good neighbor. Um, the New Living Translation says the one who showed mercy. NASB said the one who showed compassion and Amplified Version said the one who showed compassion and mercy. So according to the Bible, it appears that a neighbor is someone who comes alongside someone and shows kindness, compassion, and mercy. 
Throughout the book of Luke, Jesus is challenging religious rule keeping. We see it time and time again when someone comes and asks him for clarity or gets called out for missing the mark entirely. He used people of varying cultures, beliefs, beliefs, status, opinions, gender, obvious purity, or lack thereof, to demonstrate that his love crosses all divides as a self-sacrificial kind of love. Love takes root when it is lived out in difficult and uncomfortable situations. It seems to me that when our faith is what holds us back from loving like Jesus calls us to and being a neighbor like he describes, we need to pump the brakes and hard. When our faith is what holds us back from being loved with skin on, we need to reevaluate, be open, and dare I say, even eager to having our understandings challenged and changed. Ultimately, I think we're called to be known for who we're for rather than what we're against, actively engaging in kindness, compassion, and mercy instead of protecting the purity of our ideals, beliefs, and convictions. Let that sink in. I'll say it again. I think we're called to be known for who we're for rather than what we're against. Maybe this is what the golden rule looks like when it's truly lived out. We have neighbor opportunities all around us constantly, each and every day. They may be people near to us, or like in Jesus' story, someone who we cross paths with. We don't get to pick and choose who we show kindness, compassion, and mercy to. Often it can be a significant challenge. Being a neighbor might even cause people to turn and take a double take, simply because it's uncommon. Like the model Jesus provides, I think being a, a neighbor requires our relationship, our time, and our resources. We see it in the story of the good neighbor. The Samaritan entered into relationship with the dying Jew, right? Think about providing first aid to someone. That's a really um, tender and vulnerable uh, place to be putting yourself in. Now, if any of you have had first aid training, and if it's anything like mine, um, I was taught that you introduce yourself, you ask for consent, and then you provide care. And I'd like to think as this story is playing out that the Samaritan may have done those things. He probably introduced himself. He probably got to know this dying Jew's name. And I'm guessing he talked with him to soothe him after all the trauma that he has just experienced. It also required his time. He didn't just provide first aid and then call an Uber or an ambulance to have him picked up and delivered somewhere. He actually loaded this guy up on his donkey and traveled with him to an inn, stayed with him overnight to take care of him, and then went on his way. I just, I picture that whole process of like the first aid and then hoisting him up on the donkey, and I can't help but think how awkward and uncomfortable that may have been, and he did it anyways. It also required his resources, his money. He went to this inn, stayed a night with him, and then agreed to pay not only for that night, but for the man to be taken care of and housed, and agreed to pay any additional costs on his return. How incredibly generous. As I reflect on my neighboring experiences, both the ones where I fell short of Jesus' standard, as well as ones where I think I may have done pretty well, I have found that my faith framework has changed. I used to have the mentality of the priest and the Levite where there were rules I needed to follow and boxes I needed to check off in order to be seen as a good Christian girl. Um, 
But my understanding changed drastically when I started volunteering at and working at the homeless shelter in our St. Catharines location. I continually found myself in circumstances and relationships that stretched my heart and stretched my thinking. This heart transformation happened when I chose to invest my relationship, time, and resources, not just into that community, but into each interaction every day. Of course, there are certainly circumstances that require healthy boundaries. There is a huge and important difference between a circumstance or a relationship that's challenging, frustrating, difficult, versus one that is unsafe or inappropriate. And I think God has given us the discernment to know the difference between the two. But I also believe that our first reaction should never be to look for the loophole. Often I think unity and diversity can be two really polarizing ideas that are hard to hold together. But the work of love seeks to draw us together rather than force us apart. Later on in the next chapter in Luke 11, 52, um, Jesus is reprimanding the Pharisees on yet another matter uh, pertaining to purity and religious rule keeping. Another instance where they missed the mark. And he says to them, you took the key of knowledge, but instead of unlocking doors, you locked them. And I wonder, is our faith locking others out? Or is it drawing others in? Are we quick to come up with reasons or rules or even theology that gives us the excuse we need to stand back rather than to roll up our sleeves and jump in? Or by knowing stories like these that review the, reveal the true heart of God, are we actively putting ourselves in circumstances and relationships that can expand the reach of love? As I begin to close, I want us to take time to reflect on this story and how it plays out in our lives. I believe we are a church that wants to live like the Samaritan. I believe we are people who truly seek to share God's love and use our lives as testimony. But this isn't always easy. It's usually messy and uncomfortable and comes with a lot of gray area. And if you're anything like me, gray area is uncomfortable. I much prefer clear rules and expectations, but that's not always the case. I think it's also interesting how in the story of the Samaritan, he didn't provide care with a hidden agenda. He didn't shove his beliefs, opinions, judgments, or preferences on this dying Jew. He didn't put conditions on his willingness to help. He saw a need and he did all that he could to make things right. So who are the dying neighbors in your life? Who are the people that you can unlock doors for? Not necessarily those that you feel the need to fix or win over, but instead those who could simply use a friend or a kind, compassionate, and merciful interaction. Maybe it's a literal neighbor who doesn't respect noise restrictions or lacks general care for their property or yours. How can you choose to live in harmony with them rather than engaging in unnecessary disputes? Do you have an employee or coworker that is in need of support or encouragement? Perhaps they've really been dropping the ball lately or are quick to let their anger get the best of them. How can you be a neighbor and provide support and encouragement in those heated or uncomfortable moments? What about some of the hot button issues that we see all across the news and in our communities? That the people or that person that finds themselves on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to opinions surrounding things like 
mask mandates, vaccination statuses, the freedom convoy, or whatever that fill in the blank hot button issue is for you. How can you be a neighbor to those who disagree with you? This next one may seem simple, but you may have the opportunity to be a neighbor to the next customer service representative that you speak with for a shipment or bill that's been wrong for the third time in a row. These people often are mistreated and abused over and over again for things that are not necessarily their fault, and that shouldn't be a, the point of it either. Perhaps we need to shift our reflection to the ways of social media and the growing default to cancel culture. Maybe the dying neighbor in this scenario requires more support and compassion for people and less promotion of the canceling out on ideas. And finally, one more uh, possibility to prompt some reflection. Perhaps you feel the responsibility to be a neighbor to our indigenous neighbors people who are truly deserving of our long overdue action for truth and reconciliation. I don't know what resonated with you or maybe something else comes to mind, but I hope that you can take time to identify some of the dying neighbors in your life and who could, who could uh, use your compassion, kindness, or mercy through your relationship time and resources. It will require a lot of intentionality, but I trust that it will be worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and all that there is for us to learn. Um, I thank you for this story that Jesus gives us with um, the Samaritan and the dying Jew and the question that we have as to what a good neighbor is and how we can become a good neighbor. Um, I pray that you would be with us as we take time to reflect on who these people in our lives are that we can show kindness, compassion, and mercy to, and that we would be generous with our relationship, our time, and our resources. May you give us the strength that we need to be loved with skin on. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.